Welcome back to the FKT Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Anderson. Today, we're chatting with Jessica Picari, who set the first women's and overall self-supported southbound FKT on the Pacific Crest Trail in 63 days. Join us to hear about her experiences with the challenges of weather, logistics, and how to maintain resilience when everything is going wrong. Thank you so much, Jessica, for coming on the show today. I'm really excited to talk to you about your PCT self-supported record. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Excited, first of all, to meet you and then just to also be here. Oh, awesome. So first, I want to start with the fact that this wasn't your first attempt on the southbound self-supported PCT FKT. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your attempt in 2020 and what your motivation was to come back and attempt it again three years later. So in 2020, first of all, for me, timing is everything. I am married. I have three kids. And my husband, he is active duty still. And so for me, timing is absolutely everything because most of the time, you know, if he deploys or something happens, like I have to be here. And he told me um, it was 2019. He knew that the PCT has always been a dream of mine. And so he's like, hey, you know what? 2020 would be perfect. And so I'm like, are you serious? So I was really excited. And I started doing all my research and I put in for the permit and I got the permit. And then we found out he would be deploying. And this was like a last minute thing. And so I was just, I was like, oh man, like, what am I going to do now? You're, you're deploying and it's just me and the kids. But then he's like, you know what, just talk, let's just talk to family. And so I talked to my mom and my mom agreed to, to come down and watch the kids so that I can, I can um, do this attempt. And the reason why I, I decided on the FKT was I have kids and it was an amazing excuse for me to just put in the extra miles, um, do something that I've, I've dreamed of doing, and then also make it back in time for them to start school. But 2020 was something else for sure. Um, COVID came into play. And so that made resupply super long for me. Most places weren't open. Um, so a lot of my carries were like two week carries at the time. And eventually about 1400 miles in California had one of the biggest fires in history just a ton of places along the trail um were hit by lightning which caused all those fires and eventually it kicked me off course i came to a trailhead and it just said trail close and i was, I was pretty devastated um and and so i got off trail i had no other i couldn't do anything about it so i got off trail and i decided you know what? i'm gonna come back in two weeks and finish what i started by then, I didn't. I didn't really care about the FKT. I just wanted to finish something that I had always dreamed of of um, doing. And so I came back, and I only I was only on trail for about a day or two, and just the smoke was so horrific. And so I made that dis- uh, decision that I would just stop and maybe come back one day, maybe not. Um, start from where I left off. Start all over. At the time, I was undecided, but I just knew that I wanted to I wanted to come back and do the PCT again. And so um, this past year, he told me again, he's like, hey, you know what? This is the perfect year. And like I said, time means everything. And so um, we put a lot of things on the back burner. And then I took the, the two months off and I decided to reattempt 
just to finish something that I had, you know, failed out before. It was just such a deep desire. And also to to prove to my kids, like, it's okay to fail. Um, it's okay to not accomplish a goal, but don't give up on it. Just, you know, come back and try again later. So that's what I did. Obviously, a, a lot of your first hike was impacted by the pandemic and then the fires. Were there any main differences or big differences in how you approached your FKT this year that were from like lessons you had learned the first time around? Oh, yeah. I learned um, don't start if there's a lot of snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because when I started in 2020, the trail in Washington was completely under snow. And so I had to carry crampons. I had to carry an ice axe and the micro spikes. And nobody had really gone on the trail, but I was so stubborn. So I was busy. I was like mountaineering. I had I had right. my far out app and I was just I, I had my phone on constantly because I couldn't find the trail. There was like no trail to walk on. It was all under snow. So coming into it this time, I was like, I will not do the snow again. It just obliterated my morale. And then coming back with that with it all being under snow. It was like I was seeing the trail all like new for the first time. Yeah. So that was the biggest thing. <laughs> I kind of am curious, like, why did you decide you wanted to attempt the KT southbound? You know, because that is always such an issue with Washington. It's like, you know, it held snow really late in the year, except for this year, which it was all melted out super early. Um, yeah. So why choose the the southbound record? What's kind of interesting is, is I had contacted the FKT site because I asked them what I needed to do. Um, as far as giving them my tracking and, and my Instagram handle, you know, so that they can also keep track as I'm going. And they said, it's not a premier route anymore, so you don't have to do any of that. And so I didn't. And it was because Washington for the past few years, ha- they've had, you know, fires. And then this past year, um, one of the biggest snow years. And so for me, originally, I chose to go southbound because I like to kind of go against the grain. But then also I'm from Washington and my family lives in Washington. And so I originally, I packed up my kids, my dogs, and we drove all the way to Washington. So it just made sense that I would start from there. It was just easier to get my kids there. I would have a ride to the trailhead. And then at the time, your family, they could actually come and see you. They just can't bring you anything. But then this 2020-2023 that changed like it said like family can't meet you on trail nothing and I think you kind of touched on this a little bit but I'd love to know the the underlying motivation for why you wanted to set an FKT on the PCT looking at the FKT site I saw that there were there's only there at the time there was only one name and I was like I want to be added to this to this list of names and so that's why I chose southbound. And then just because I wanted to see Washington first. <laughs> so really, I don't, I don't really have like a super in-depth answer to that. Just logistically, it made sense. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I know you wrote a book and you mentioned that you wrote a book titled Bombs to Trails about your 2020 hike. And a couple of questions. The first is, do you have any plans to write about this hike? Absolutely. I actually, I've already started on it. I'm a few chapters in. So yeah, I'm excited for it. And to just come back and be like, I've finished it. I've finished something that I wasn't able to before is is huge. Yeah, definitely a, a sequel, part two. And so like with the title, you were talking, you know, 
implying about your military service. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and how it impacted your PCT experience, both in 2020 and now. Yeah, so I was I was a medic in the Army, and I've always struggled with post-traumatic stress disorder and a, a few other things just from my deployments. And so... I went in to the trail at first just seeking out the fastest known time heading southbound. But then as I was hiking, it became so much more. It became spiritual for me. And it also allowed me to really dive into a lot of these struggles that I've been going through. And to really, it just gave me time to heal. And so I knew that I wanted to write about it. And I wanted to share my journey along the way and hopefully shed a little bit of light on, you know, for other veterans that it's okay to seek help. It's okay to not be okay. I think you mentioned maybe in your write-up that you actually had some physical issues on your FKT that were resulting from your your time in the service, Um, like with your ankles, I think. Um, Was that... So I have degenerative disc disease and then I also get really like severe migraines and a lot of it is from jumping out at perfectly good flying airplanes. I was airborne in the army and I had a really, I had a, a few like really bad landings. And so it's definitely affected me physically since that really carried with me on trail. There was a time where I started a few times where I would just start to lose my vision from the migraines. And so I'd have to stop and then take something for that and wait, wait it out, wait for it to go away or hope hope that it doesn't get any worse. And then just the you know, a lot of back pain and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I can't imagine like having chronic issues like that and then putting the, like the intensity of an FKT on top of that just for day after day after day. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's something that I've learned to live with though. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm sure you must have good management strategies in place. I was kind of reading, you know, a little bit of the, the preview of your book on Amazon too. And it seemed like your your heritage is a big part of the storytelling. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, maybe that aspect and also like your trail name history and, and those sorts of details. Yeah. So um, I, I'm Blackfeet Indian and I'm also Hispanic. So I'm, you know, I give both awesome worlds. Um, but going into this, um, I really chatted with a lot of family members within the tribe and they would teach me a lot of stuff along the way about my heritage and just the respect for nature that our culture has. And so I took that into my everyday, you know, I'm just showing that gratitude, being thankful for the sunrises and the sunsets and all the beauty that goes along with the trail. And so when I started hiking southbound in 2020, I didn't see anybody for weeks because nobody was on trail. And even if I did come across people, it was only for a second or two. And so I knew I wouldn't get a trail name. Plus COVID, nobody was really out on trail like they were this past year. And and so in 2008, I came back from deployment from Iraq and I went to the reservation in Browning. And my aunt had secretly set up a ceremony for me to receive an Indian name. And I didn't know at the time that I would be receiving one. And it was one of my greatest, one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my life. She set up the the ceremony with the chief of the tribe at the time, and his name is Chief Earl Oldperson. 
And he brought me into his office with some other relatives. And he just asked me what I enjoyed in life. And I said, I really enjoy being up high. And this goes along with just climbing that mountain and just looking out and seeing the beauty um, that the world has to offer. And he just smiled at me. And he's like, Ishputaki. And I was like, what? He's like, it means flies high woman in Blackfeet. And he's like, that's the perfect name for you. And I just, I just held on to that. And so I use it a lot. I use it a lot on the trail for strength. And so anytime, you know, something was difficult or I was scared or anything, I would just be like, Ishputaki, Ishputaki. And it just gave me so much power. And so that's that story of I was like, that's going to be my trail name. And so I just shortened it to Flies High. And so I've kept it since. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, also, when I was reading your trip report um, or your kind of your write up, uh, your opening paragraph, like kind of your summary of Washington, basically made it sound like you were just a string of gear failures and losses. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. And, and um, so I was wondering if you could just kind of talk about like what those were and how that impacted your hike and also your mental state. Cause I don't know, like I was reading that list and I was like, man, if all that stuff happened to me like in a row, I would be kind of like mentally <laughs> struggling a bit. Uh, first of all, I felt like such an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like why do they strap my gear on better, you know? And especially like you lose one thing, okay. But then like the next day I would lose something else. And then the next day I lost something else. I lost my headlamp. I lost my Kula cloth. I lost my water filter. I lost my headlamp. I couldn't find my mosquito net. And then I lost my carabiners. Um, my trekking pole broke. The zipper on my jacket broke. And I'm just like, this is only the first <laughs> the first week. So every oh day gosh. I swear to woke up, I was like, all right, all right, Washington, what are you going to do to me today? You know? And it was like, I would lose this stuff and I wouldn't realize it until like I'm miles up or I just climbed like 2000 feet. And then at the time you're like, do I really want to turn around <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, whatever thousand feet just to find what I, what I lost on trail. The trail definitely has provided for those that were behind me. But, um, honestly, I, I, it's like, I went through all the phases, like denial, then I was mad, you know? I was really upset with myself for losing all that gear, but at the same time, it, it sort of gave me strength. Like I broke my trekking pole and then I was able to fix it. And I felt, I felt awesome. Cause I'm like, all right, I'm a, if I'm able to get past these, you know, these minor issues, then I can handle whatever else is going to be thrown my way. I think that's something, I mean, anytime you do anything difficult, um, but especially I feel like FKTs have helped me with that. Like when you have to like problem solve and overcome some sort of hardship, you know, or something that just seems so major at the time, like losing your headlamp. Okay. Now I can't see it at night and night hiking is part of my <laughs> kind of what I'm doing here. You know, it's like every time you solve that problem, I feel like it gives you, yeah, that it's annoying and it knocks you down at first, but when you solve it, it gives you kind of that mental boost to be like, all right, I solved that problem. Like I can handle this other thing. Like when that, like, I feel like it's a compounding effect of like gaining self-confidence. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. 100%. And I just, I would just tell myself, it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. You know, you still have food. You still have all these other things. Like you're going to be fine. It'll work out. Yeah. I was interviewing Nick Fowler, you know, for the podcast and he kind of had a similar start in Washington. 
And he lost his food bag. And I'm just like, how do you not know? Like, my food bag is very heavy. I'm like, how do you not notice when that falls out of your pack? Because yeah. my pack would all of a sudden get like five pounds lighter. Oh, yeah. So, yes, at least you still had your food, you know? Yeah, I still <laughs> have my food. So, <laughs> yeah. And actually, I really like that. I really love that that mindset of like, well, somebody behind me is being provided for or, you know, the trail is providing for someone behind me, you know, because I've, I've never really thought about that. But that's I like that. Like maybe somebody behind you needed something and like you're providing it for them. Oh, yeah. And I also thought, well, maybe I'll find something further up. But I always felt I found like a broken trekking pole. I found like one shoe that was my size. So I was like, if I take this shoe. <laughs> oh, and then I found like a hat, but it was nothing like that I needed. I'm like, oh, I wish I could find a water filter or something along those lines. What did you do when you lost your water filter? I mean, obviously, you were probably drinking untreated water for a while. Did you replace it? So I actually carried two water filters. Um, one was the Sawyer Mini, which was terrible. <laughs> it was like <laughs> mini. And then I carried, um, I also had the the tabs in my first aid kit. So that was like my third like backup. But I did carry two water filters at least. It's just the second water filter just took so long to... To filter water and eventually it clogged and I couldn't get it unclogged and it made for a really interesting end to California. I'm kind of curious, like, how was the water like in California, like that late in the season? I mean, I guess they just had a hurricane, which we can talk about a little bit more later. But like, did you find water in the desert or was it pretty much just caches? I felt like the hurricane and it be from it being such a high snow year that it created a lot more water sources because there were a lot that were on the far out app and they were just there. Like there would be like a small stream. I'm like, well, it didn't say that there was a small stream, but it was there. And at the time, um, you know, everybody that had gone through Southern California went through like in July. And so all of the notes on the far out app were all like super out of date. So it kind of made me nervous because I didn't know what to expect. Or if I got to these water caches, is there actually going to be water still there? But once I got even further uh, south of California, then it was mostly water caches that I depended on. Okay. And yeah, so obviously we've mentioned the snow year. We've mentioned the hurricane. Because you can't really talk about the PCT in 23 without talking about the extreme weather. <laughs> um, it was like record-breaking snow in the Sierra and then, you know, a hurricane, which I feel like it hadn't happened for like 100 years or something. Um, and you were right there, you know, for all of this. Can you tell us about like what it was like hiking through the Sierras on this high snow year and also, you know, your experience with the hurricane Hillary? I mean, I know Nick was like holed up in a cave for like a day and a half. Like, yeah. How did you handle that? So I was on the section right before Sierra City when the hurricane hurricane came rolling through and in the morning, I woke up to rain and it was super, I think it was like 4.30 in the morning. I woke up and it was raining and I just sat in my tent and I was like, I knew there was going to be a hurricane coming through, but I didn't expect the rain to already had started. And so I woke up and I was just thinking, this is not going to be that great of a day. This is going to be miserable. <laughs> and so I did, yeah, I did my best to um, make sure a lot of my equipment was secure and so, like, I put all my electronics in my bear canister. Um, I actually carried an extra pair of shoes the entire way, most of the way. Um, I picked them up on my first resupply, and I just carried an extra pair of shoes. And so I put those in 
in a, like a Ziploc bag to keep dry. So I knew at least by the end, I would at least have a dry pair of shoes and socks. And so once I, once I packed up my tent, I just got poured on from that, from the moment I, I exited my tent until oh, it was like three in the afternoon, four in the afternoon. It was like eight or nine hours. I just got pounded by rain and, and, and wind. And then it created a bunch of streams on the trails. Like I was walking in a river the entire time. And my, like I said, the zipper on my raincoat had broken and I ordered a new one online and I had it shipped to one of my resupply points, but it was the same exact jacket and the zipper on that one had broke. No, no. (laughs) So I'm like trying to, yeah, so I'm trying to like bundle up and it just, I just, the rain just soaked through everything. It soaked through all of my clothes. I thought my, my, um. My sleeping bag, the the sack that it goes in, the stuff sack, was supposed to be waterproof. It was not waterproof. No, no. And so everything got soaked. I was just grateful that I had, you know, the dry pair of shoes and socks in a Ziploc bag. And then I also had all my electronics in the bare canister. But everything, everything was soaked. And so that night, um, I was excited because I'm like, oh, I can't wait. I have a pair of dry clothes that I slept in. And those were soaked. So, <laughs> oh my God. So, I just, yeah, it was stuffed in with my sleeping bag. And so I just froze that night. Oh man. Were you able to go into town like the next day? You said you were just north of Sierra City. I bypassed Sierra City and I kept hiking. And then um, I eventually got rained on again. And the ring, my dry shoes and my dry socks got wet. But um, that, that next day, I went into, um, I hit Donner Ski Ranch. Okay. And that was my next resupply. They had a dryer. And so I'm like, can I please use your dryer? And the guy was like, yeah. And I thought that was so cool because I'm like, okay, I just like had like the worst day of my life. And then I was blessed because I was able to dry my stuff. And then I was also able to order a delicious meal from that resupply. It's nothing like having like horrible like conditions on the trail to make you really appreciate very simple things like good food and the ability to be warm and dry. Oh my gosh. It it makes you appreciate the littlest things. Even as simple as just being able to like turn on your sink and get get water instantly without having to wait forever to filter. Right. Yeah. Potable water on demand. Then next a few days later you would have entered the Sierra. And I'm kinda of curious what it was like. Was there still a lot of snow? Like what were the were the river crossings high from the hurricane coming through? Like what was that like? Oh yeah. Um a lot of the water crossings um, some of them are like waist deep, and because of the the high snow year, a lot of the bridges were out. And so I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but the San Joaquin, oh San Joaquin bridge, yeah, Joaquin, yeah. that bridge was was like, um, it was destroyed. And I know there was an issue, there was an ongoing issue because people were still crossing it, and so they were saying it was a safety hazard like not to go on this bridge but people were still doing it and I didn't know what I was going to do at the time I was like do I take this bridge that's that's supposedly you know it's broken or do I find a safer route upstream and when I got to the bridge they had already completely shut it down Um, there were park rangers on the other side I guess they're working on it and they had caution tape all over and they had signs up saying like do not go past this area do not go on this bridge and so I kind of freaked out because I'm like I don't know what I'm gonna do if I can't cross this stream 
someone had talked about some alternate route that required like a 3000 foot scramble. And I thought like, I don't want to do that, you know? So I ended up talking to some other hikers that were camped out near the bridge. And they said, um, we're going to go in the morning. A lot of people are saying you could just cross in the morning. And it was only like seven o'clock. And so I'm like, I still have hours left of hiking and I can't afford to miss out on, on this time to wait until the next morning. And so I just started walking up and down the trail, trying to find a safe route. And at first I thought I found a safe route. And so I took off my pack and I'm like, I'm a good swimmer. I've always, you know, I swam when I was little, like I can do this. But to have to carry your pack across, you know, swimming, it just, it it didn't make sense. And so I got in and it was, a, the water came up to my waist and I was like, it only gets deeper. There's no way that I can safely cross this area because if I don't make it across the bank, then it's like all white water. And that's, that's dangerous. Like I have kids, I have a family to get back to. And so I got out of the water and I walked a little bit further up and then I found a safe passage and it ended up being um, just below my knee. Oh, wow. And yeah, and it was, it felt, I felt safe and I had done so many water crossings prior that it didn't feel like it was unsafe at all. Like I was just used to crossing the waters by then. And so after that, once I made it to the other side, then it was kind of a scramble up the mountain, up that side of the mountain and then across and um, to get back to the trail. That's amazing that you found a, a like less than needy port of that river. I, yeah, I'm like, why didn't I see that before? <laughs> and it ended up being like 0.4 from the bridge. And so I was grateful that I didn't have to ford water like a mile up because there's no trail, you know, on that side. So you're having a right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Scrabble over boulders and, and go through trees and everything, you know, just to get back to the trailhead. Right. Yeah. You mentioned uh, you just mentioned your kids again. And so I'm kind of curious if you have like, obviously, I'm sure you trained for this, like. How did you balance like motherhood and, and your off trail life with your training and preparation for this like huge hike? So I did a lot of my my training before they even get up for school. And then once they're at practices, but I also started off the year wearing a weighted vest. And so I started off with like a 12 pound vest. I just wore it all day just to get my shoulders used to it. And then after a month, I went up to 15 pounds, and the most I went up to was 25 pounds. Um, and that was a month before I left for the trail. And I felt like that really benefited me as far as just getting used to carrying that weight. I think the 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 main struggle I had on trail was just feet, you know, just time on feet. That was the hardest. Right. Yeah. Forming all the... Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, a lot of people struggle with that adaptation to carrying the weight. So that makes a lot of sense to just train your body to accept that extra weight. Right. And I, I, I wasn't doing a lot of like high mileage or anything. I did a 50 mile rough march a few weeks prior just to see how all my gear felt and to make sure everything was okay. And and I felt great during that that march. And it, made, it definitely brought a lot of confidence going into the FKT. Yeah. I'd love to know kind of your your biggest takeaway from this whole experience. Um, I would say like we like we talked about earlier, my biggest takeaway would be to enjoy the little things and to not take little things for granted. 
like running water or just being able to go to the grocery store and buy whatever you want to eat. Just there were so many times on trail where I was so hungry and or I was really thirsty because the water carries would be so long and I had to really um, be careful with how much water I was drinking. But yeah, just enjoy the little things. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of food, like kind of what was your uh, like maybe the mainstays of your food selections and, and just, you know, did you have like an eating strategy either on the trail or when you got to town? So I mailed myself a lot of dehydrated meals and my plan was to eat is like over 4,000 calories a day or try to which I'm not a really big person. So I felt like I didn't have to carry a ton of food like most people would. Um, And then when I got to town, I would just buy all the snacks to kind of add on to my calories, all the snacks, all the food, whatever I was craving. I find when I get to town, I tend to buy like a ridiculous amount of beverages just because I want something other than water. So I, I like end up walking out of the store with like soda and juice and kombucha and like, and then I'm like, now I have to drink all of this because it's like I'm not going to take this like on the trail with me. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did. I definitely did that. I I uh, stopped at it was Bernie Falls State Park, and they had the uh, milkshakes, and I was like, I bought like a large milkshake, I bought a soda, and then I bought like a chocolate milk, and I and then sitting at the at the um like the picnic tables that they had, I was like, why did I just buy all these beverages? <laughs> right. Yeah, I've definitely done the same thing. And then just the food cravings. I stopped at a cafe in California. I'm trying to think of the name. But I ordered 30 pancakes to go. Oh, my God. (laughs) And the waitress just kind of looked at me like, you're not going to fit that all in your pack. And I was just thinking, like, watch me. I'm going to fit it all. You're like, well, half of it's going in my belly. Yeah. (laughs) So for for three days, I, I just picked out on these pancakes. And I finished baking off like really fast, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's fantastic. 30 pancakes to go. That's amazing. Is there anything that I haven't brought up that you'd like to share about your hike? I really wanted to thank, you know, all the trail angels and all the people that they open up their places for PCT hikers, um, like Hiker Town. That was really cool. I stopped into there and... And the the guy that runs it, he just kind of looked at me. He's like, when's the last time you had a shower? <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, I smell so bad. But just uh, people like that, just opening up their places um, for hikers and all the trail angels that provided a, a little bit of snacks along the way, filling up the caches. Um, it's it's incredible. Uh, the trail, the hiking community is in, in it's incredible. It's something like I've never experienced before. And um, just people's willingness to give, and I'm, I'm I really hope that I can do the same, and you know, be a trail angel next year. Um, just give back the way that they've given to me and to other hikers, and also to my family because without their love, their support, their prayers, there's no way I would have been able to 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 hike this. Yeah, the PCT does have a. I mean, all trails, but definitely the PCT has a very amazing community on and around it. And um, hopefully next year, I've been looking at the Colorado Trail. So I... For an FKT or just a go hike? I'm, I've been going back and forth. I, I hiked it last year. Um, I was okay. given nine days to, 
to hike wherever I wanted. And I live in Colorado right now. And so I chose the Colorado Trail because I'm like, that's like an hour from where I live. And I made it around 400 miles okay. in those nine days. And I felt great. So I'm like, maybe I, I should go back and, and attempt an FKT or finish off where I left off. I don't know yet. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Well, I look forward to following along, whichever you do. Thank you. And I like to wrap it up with the highest high and lowest low of your FKT. So my highest high would be um, the knife's edge. I actually, I hit that section. It was like perfect timing. It was during sunset. No one, I hadn't seen anybody for miles. I had that entire section to myself. And and the sunset I saw, it was, it was beautiful. It was unbelievable. It was the nothing like I've ever seen before. And um, because I was so high up, the sun didn't actually set till like nine o'clock. And so this whole time I'm just watching the sun set and I'm, I'm, I'm getting all the colors, all the, the oranges and the reds and it's just gorgeous. And you can see Mount Rainier. And it was then I was just like, wow, like this is such an incredible experience and I don't want to take it for granted. And along with that, the very next day I had my lowest of low. <laughs> I did not sleep with my electronics and so when I went to charge my my phone because it was dying, all of my battery power banks were completely dead. Oh, no. Yeah. And so I really freaked out about that. Luckily, the next day I would be hitting Bridge of the Gods. But that was 100% the lowest of lows. I went to bed that night just a wreck because I'm like, I don't know, like the trail isn't well marked in some areas. Like I don't want to get lost. And so I decided I would just sleep in and I, I kind of had a little pity party. <laughs> I just felt like bad for myself that I made this another like mistake that was just so something that could have been easily avoided. And then the next morning, I just talked myself out of it. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, no one's going to hike these miles for you. Like, get out of bed, stop feeling sorry for yourself and just get hiking. And, and I did. And I and I made it to Bridge of the Gods eventually. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like having, especially, you know, on an FKT like that where you're so reliant on things like your phone, it's like very stressful. Yeah, I've like, had that happen too where I'm like running out of battery and I'm just like, do I have enough? Like, am I going to make it? Like, what's going to happen? You know? Yeah, you just don't know. I felt really fortunate though because at the time, because of the high snow year in the Sierras, a lot of hikers were sort of juggling all over the place. And there were a lot of hikers in Washington, more than I'd, you know, obviously seen in 2020 because of COVID, but just because of the high snow year. I saw a lot of them in Washington and I saw a lot of them in Oregon. So that was really, really cool. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today to tell us about your experience. It was great. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure and an honor to meet you. Oh, thank you. Thanks again, Jessica, for coming on the show. You can read about her FKT on the website, fastestknowntime.com, and follow her adventures on Instagram at Jessica Picari.